They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com? Hell yeah. The one and only Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe Donald, John Mita, checking back in with you. Hope everybody's keeping it well out there on SoundCloud.com. Keeping it real, keeping it, keeping it tight, because we are ready to rock and roll on episode 65 of the Brotherly Love Podcast. Johnny Meats, what's shaking, dude? What's happening, Joe? Feeling a whole lot better, man. After being sick for a week, man, it was just—I felt brutal. So I'm going to give him my all tonight, and man, I can't wait to get this show going because uh, it should be a good one. There's so much stuff going on with the Eagles, the national stuff. It's going to be great. Well, you played hurt last week, but you gave it your all. That's all we can ask here <laughs> on the BL podcast. Uh, lots to get into, as Johnny Mita just alluded to. Eagles defeat the Colts and trim their roster. The NFL regular season kind of nearing, so we'll stick with the football theme and handicap the NFC East a bit. Uh, locally, Josh Ennis out at WIP. We'll touch on that. We'll have our Spread the Love segment. But first, we are going to start with a national topic. Now, back-to-back episodes, we've kind of done so last week, talking about Ryan Lochte and the uh, swimming scandal, if you will, in Rio as the Olympics are winding down. But this week, it's Colin Kaepernick, John Mita, refusing to stand during the Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, something he had done, I guess, all preseason, but nobody really noticed because he wasn't playing. Now he's playing. It was noticed. And to say the least, it's kind of, uh, well, it's been a spark plug for conversation, if nothing else. And I'm going to start real quick and then let you jump in. You know, everyone has an opinion on a topic like this. It's such a controversial, passionate topic for so many people. But I'm really tired of hearing athletes say they want change. All right, I'm going to go back to the ESPYs for a minute. Have we heard from Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James since the ESPYs? Have I missed anything? Did have they have they donated money? Have they started any type of cause? Uh, have they created any initiatives in their communities? Donate to nonprofits or agencies to help the cause that they were so actively and passionately speaking about that night at the ESPYs? I wrote a serious question, not rhetorical. Have I missed it? No. Okay. Not at all. That's what I thought. So I'm kind of tired of athletes talking the talk. All right. I get it. They have a forum, they have that platform, and they use it. And, and as well they should because they're heard by millions of people, and a lot of them, a lot of them are impressionable youth. They look up to the athletes. So when the athlete talks, they listen. Charles Barkley, the old, I'm not a role model. Some of these guys are using their platform, social media or otherwise, to speak up but then they're not doing squat. So as great as, quote-unquote, starting the conversation is, to me, it doesn't mean squat. It doesn't change how a police officer or a civilian is going to act. It doesn't make some kid with a troubled past all of a sudden make a better decision. Instead, I believe it partially furthers the racism. It widens the gap between the police 
and the people. If that if that is the only thing we're talking about here, I know Kaepernick had kind of a bigger scope with you know violence in the streets and, but at the end of the day, the police brutality that's gone on over the last however many years, generations, and now more recently in the spotlight because of social media and, and today's crazy news cycle, it is certainly more at the forefront than maybe it's it ever has been. Now Kaepernick said it would be selfish of him to turn his back on this situation and and, and essentially not take a stand. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's selfish of Colin Kaepernick. I thought it was a selfish move putting the spotlight on him. All right? It's been a powder keg for sports talk radio what he did. Again, his decision to sit for the national anthem. It hasn't brought about any change. It's only angered some people, especially our active and retired military. To me, it's a slippery slope that Colin Kaepernick is headed down, and I'm not supporting what I consider a, uh, a selfish decision until I see something more than his ass on the bench during the anthem. Uh, you bring up a lot of good points. I mean, <clears throat> here's my stance on the whole issue. Listen, First Amendment rights, right? One of the first rights, which everyone has in this country. And I'm all about it. And I'm not going to tell you right now that people have been oppressed in this country. Because it goes on every day. I get that. But just his selfishness, like you alluded to, it, it's just terrible. It's just ridiculous. So many people are just going to take that the wrong way. Now, he came out and said, listen, I'm not directing that at the men and women to fight overseas. The bottom line is, you know, when you do the national anthem or when you hear it, it's always brought about our military. So there is some significance there. And you got to understand the other thing. He's also dividing his losses. I'm sure there's some players that agree with his stance. And then there's the other players that don't agree with his stance. And it's just a huge distraction for his team. And like you said, when you were alluding to the other athletes, the NBA players at the FC, do something to make a difference. By you not standing up for the national anthem, you are not going to create change by that. You're just going to make a statement. And you're not helping the cause. There's nothing really positive that comes out of that. You know, and you got to look at the other. Listen, there's so many other nations in the entire world. You want to talk about oppression of people? Bottom line, this is one of the best countries to live in. There's so much opportunity here. And it just, when he did that, it just, it just boggles my mind. Now, I'm not telling you that everything's rosy. And race, you know, race in this country right now with all the incidents, I mean, bottom line, you know, it kind of looks like we're kind of on the verge which is totally sad, instead of progressing forward and doing things to change, we're on the verge of a race war in this country, which is terrible. You know, we all need to stand up and try to make a difference. But for him to do this, it just says that, listen, this guy has never been like If you ask all of his teammates, what do they say about Colin Kaepernick? That he's a weirdo. He doesn't really hang out with his other teammates. He's just an off-the-mat, weird type of cat. And, you know, for him to make a stand like this, I just, you know, who's Colin Kaepernick? Do you know what I mean? But I think the one thing that we need to know about this situation is, what else are you going to do to make a difference? Okay, so you're going to sit for the national anthem for the entire football season. Fantastic, Colin. That's great. What else are you going to do? You know, you want to talk about 
He's getting, he, he's getting extreme backlash right now. He's also getting the support. I'm not trying to kill the guy, but at the same time, try to make it different. Do you know what I mean? When Muhammad Ali did, did these sort of things, like he was just a national figure. You know, somebody that just, you know, stood up for what he believed in. And people got behind him, but for him to do this, I just, you know, good luck with that. You know, but I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that, like, oppression in this country, race, that doesn't exist. It exists every single day. And we need to keep moving forward as a country, as people. You know, let's do things to make a difference as opposed to some selfish act which will accomplish absolutely nothing. I, I think you bring up a good point, John Mita, because at the end of the day, you know, if it's week six of the season, if he's even on the 49ers roster at that point, let's be honest here, are are, are people still going to be talking about it? Because now you're eight weeks into his, his stance, right? A couple weeks in the preseason, six weeks of the regular season. Is it just going to be, well, he didn't stand again? I mean, at some point, what's the next step for him? You know, he he has a press conference weekly during the football season, media around him every day. He could have gone about this another way. He could have called his own damn press conference. He could have had a one-on-one with Jamel Hill, right? Miss yeah. Miss Hot Take from uh from the mothership, ESPN, right? She's on the town for you know, the town hall forum yeah. with the president. She is a leading black journalist in our country now. And, you know, granted. I don't really think she's that good, but hey, right now, she's on the rise. You could have easily had a one-on-one with her. Carrie Champion on SportsCenter, another African-American sports anchor, is on almost weekly with some up-and-coming guests or tackling these issues that aren't necessarily sports-related on a national forum on ESPN. You could have easily got lined up with one of those two and done it that way. But to disgrace the country in some regard, and disgrace the anthem in, you know, really at, at 100% level just seemed like a selfish maneuver and not one that was very, you know, well thought out, in my opinion. Uh, with that said, we're going to introduce a little bit of a new feature on the Brotherly Love podcast. Listener feedback, if you will, came from a suggestion from our man Wood a uh, somewhat regular listener of the Brotherly Love podcast. He suggested that we take some listener feedback from time to time. So if the Colin Kaepernick situation has you perked up, you've got a take, you've got an opinion, you're passionate about it, email us, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. That's brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. Email us your thoughts. Is Colin Kaepernick taking the right stand? Is he off the beaten path here? How do you see this thing playing out? Any of those things, anything Kaepernick, National Anthem, race relations related, bring it. Email us, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com, and we will get to it on next week's episode and provide you out there on soundcloud.com with some true listener feedback. All right, we're taking a timeout, talking birds, talking NFC East, spread the love, and a whole lot more after this. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on soundcloud.com. Back on the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com with John Mita. I am Joe O'Donnell. 
tweet us at Belove Podcast. Again, on Twitter at Belove Podcast. All right, Johnny Mita, we addressed the Colin Kaepernick situation. And now it's on to the Philadelphia Eagles, 3 0 in the preseason after a 33 23 win over the Colts. I'll let you take the lead, my friend, quickly on the uh, Eagles Colts dress rehearsal, that third preseason game, and then on the Eagles roster moves, making some cuts to trim their roster down to the league maximum. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get to the recap of the game. Uh, it was definitely another great, strong performance by the defense. Uh, they haven't left that many touchdowns up in the preseason. The front four looked great. Linebackers looked great. You know, the one concern with this defense is how well our cornerbacks are going to play. I think that is the weakest position, the position, you know, on the defensive front. And, you know, some of those guys are making plays. So Nolan Carroll played well. I guess the other rookie who they threw into the fire, C.J. Smith, he played very well. What we also have to take into account is you know, the Colts were a battered football team. And when I say battered, they were like missing 14 players that are essentially probably going to be like starters for them. I did like the fact that the offense finally established some drive. They looked like they could push the ball down the field. Some of the wide receivers made plays. So that was all good. However, let's not get too excited, people, because they were going against third, fourth, and fifth-string quarterbacks. So I'm not going to get too high on that. I do like the fact that Doug Peterson, the offensive coordinator and the whole offensive staff, that they got Doriel Green back involved. And what did they do? Yes, they dumbed down the table. All right, Doriel, we're inside the 15-yard line. You're going you're gonna to run a fade route. Tim's going to throw the ball high in the air, and then you're going to catch it. And he came down with a touchdown. Hey, by the so way, what this, this fade route, is that new to the NFL? Nah. Hmm. It's been around for years. It's really weird because I don't remember the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles executing it uh, pretty much in the last decade. You? Oh, you're right. No, except for when I was going for the pinky fade. But yeah. it just never happened. Yeah, the pinky <laughs> fade. Or T.O. occasionally would catch one, I think. And that's about it, because he'd outmuscle somebody. But, yeah. yeah, it was nice to see. It was child's play up there with DGB yeah. pulling that one in. You know, the offensive line, I thought they played very well. They kind of protected Bradford. He didn't get beat up too much. This whole Lane Johnson thing, Joe, and we kind of grazed over. The NFL is still waiting for the B sample to come in. I mean, I don't know why it takes so long to test a sample from somebody. It literally boggles my mind. There's only about million-dollar organization, and they can't get these tests done in a week. It's just a joke. And him hinging on the season, there's a lot riding on it. Because once they get the B sample, then he goes into the appeal process, which then he could probably play, in all likelihood, the first four games of the season, and then they might sit him for 10, and then he'd be back for week 15 or 16. Or the Eagles just say, you know, accept the punishment, and we'll see you in week 11. So that's kind of pissing me off. But other than that, I thought it was good performance. You know, they did have a block punt, which you never see. You know, the Eagles give up their special teams. have been stellar under day six for the last couple of years. That was a little troublesome. Caleb Sturgis came back from getting concussed on an earned, on an earned putt. Punt, which is just, that's a whole nother story. But all in all, it was a great performance by the team. Can't get too excited about it. 
And, uh, you know, sit the stars and let's get ready for Cleveland in the opener. Rhetorical question here. Why is Isaac Samulo, or however the hell you pronounce his last name, the rookie offensive lineman they drafted this year, why is he the incumbent starter, so to speak? What I mean, you touched on it. The line looked great the other night. Granted, it's the Colts, and, and maybe they're not you know back to being the powerhouse of the AFC South they were for a few years, but Stephen Wojcicki and that line seem to do a fine job, and I just don't understand why the rookie draft pick, unless that's the only reason, as being crowned the, the winner of that job that's up for grabs right now. Again, somewhat rhetorical, but just something I was I was thinking about during the game the other day. Um, real quick on the Colts. I, I thought their issues last season stemmed from poor offensive line play that had Andrew Luck running for his life and turning the ball over. Uh, did anything change there? Did they try and address anything this offseason? Uh, because he was running for his life again. Eagles D looked good. You touched on it. I don't know that I'm really concerned about the cornerback play like you are. I think I think Nolan Carroll's fine. Uh, McKelvin Brooks, Eric Rowe, if he's if he's still alive, I'm not even sure. I think they have some pieces there. If they do get in trouble, hopefully they'll make a move sooner rather than later, like we've seen previous defensive coordinators do. Billy Davis, um, Josh Huff looked like a like a football player. He did things with a, he did things on the football field that resulted in positive plays for his team. Uh, I still get scared every time he has the ball in his hands, fearing he's going to fumble. But nice to see him actually make some productive plays in a National Football League field. Granted, it's the preseason. Sam Bradford looked accurate, in control when he wasn't, you know, being harassed by a pass rush. Certainly another positive sign there. All right, roster cuts. Biggest surprise, John Mita, in your eyes, was who? I would say the two veteran wide receivers. Or they brought in a guy, Chris Givens, down to Ben. Somebody of an NFL journeyman played with Sam Bradford in St. Louis. He's going to be your speed, deep threat that, frankly, this team doesn't possess right now. He was in the witness protection program. So he gets that. Okay, but I, mean, I, I, I didn't realize, did you, maybe it's just me, I didn't realize that he needed to do anything in preseason or training camp to make this team. I thought they signed him because they knew he was better than what they had. I mean, I agree with you there, but listen, if you're not making plays, then you're going to find yourself in the unemployment line. Well, Nelson Aguilar is not unemployed. Oh, God. I agree. No, I'm not going to agree with there. I love Nelson Aguilar. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, he had another blunder. Ball gets intercepted. Yeah, and, he, and I watch him on a running play. He doesn't block. He gets pushed around. He stinks. Yeah. yeah. Doug Peterson said that he was a good blocker yeah. on field. That's yeah. better. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you. The only thing is, you have so much investor right now that you cut a guy like Nelson Aguilar, that's $7 million of dead money against your tax. And you're giving up on a first round draft that can't be used to. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I look, I get it. I understand yeah. why they didn't cut him, but he stinks. All right. Can we, can we finally put this thing to bed? He's soft and he stinks. And until I see otherwise, just like Josh Huff last year and Riley Cooper for the five years prior to that, he's dead to me. This guy is going to get owned at the line of scrimmage by other teams' cornerbacks every single Sunday until they sit him down on the bench. Yeah, and you, uh, again, you bring up another good point. There's a great football personality, a guy that's totally well-known and respected, Ray Dinger, and he, he kind of asked Nelson Aguilar, like, what did you do in the offseason? Did you do a lot of training? Did you put on some bulk? And he said, no, I thought I was fine. The way I was, I didn't need to gain anything. 
Well, if you can't get off the line of scrimmage, that means that you're not training hard enough to get more physical. The only hope, big the only hope, is that teams play the way that the Seahawks played uh, and still do, meaning. Sherman essentially stays on one side of the field. It, it, the only hope is that the, the Redskins, for instance, would waste Josh Norman on Aguilar's side of the field. Because you're not going to get <laughs> Aguilar's not going to do anything anyway. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that's literally the only way I see him being productive for the Eagles this year is because he's just going to take a guy on an island on the other side of the field and that guy's going to fall asleep because there's not going to be any action his way. I'm literally convinced that this guy is an awful football player. He's soft as baby poop, and he's not going to get anything done. Yeah. Period. Well, I now have more yeah. faith in Josh Huff because of one preseason performance than I do of Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, and, and then you got to look at the guy. You got to look at the guy that we kind of touched and touched on. There's a couple podcasts. The veteran wide receiver that we picked up from the Giants. Yeah. Ruben Randall. The guy had like two catches in this last game in the preseason. And he also finds himself in the unemployment line. And frankly, he just looks like a guy that doesn't care and doesn't want to play football. And you're talking about a guy that was a second-round draft pick. The Giants released him, so he had, like, one of his better seasons. He had eight touchdowns last year. He was very productive, but he just brought nothing to the table. Yeah. And he just acts like he doesn't want it. And we don't need those types of players on our football team. No. And, and you we- got to understand and the other thing is, you have to understand, again, the mindset of his motivation, right? You're, the team that drafted you just cut you, yep. right? Now, now you're on a one-year deal, and essentially you're in a contract here, and, and he said he needs to come out and prove something, and he proved nothing, and he's gone from this football team. And the guy that's on the rise is Paul Turner, yep. who's made plays in the preseason, kind of an unknown commodity, but it looks like he's going to make this football team because yep. he has made the plays. Yeah. Not made the mistake. So. You have to you have to almost sometimes take a step back. You and I uh, I'm putting myself in this boat, and you as well to be honest. We we should have known something was up when Ruben Randall was able to just, you know, walk away from the Giants. There had to be something there. Granted Victor Cruz was coming back for them. But if he was that good of a guy in the locker room and his numbers his numbers were what they were, eight touchdowns or whatever it was, nine touchdowns. I mean, you don't just let guys like that walk unless, you know, they're asking for too much money or they're just not good for the culture. And maybe that's why he was so easily attainable for the Eagles and we didn't hear the Eagles fighting other teams over his services and now he's cut. Let's jump to the NFC East, my brother, and handicap things for a bit. We hope to have one more podcast before the regular season starts, possibly uh, possibly a little Labor Day edition. But I'm just going to run through the teams real quick here, all right? Tony Romo hurt again. That's awesome. Um, you can pretty much rule out the Cowboys on competing in 2016. I don't. I don't care how good. What, what's his name? Dak Prescott. Yeah. Is it D A K or D A X? I mean, how do you even spell that? D A K. Okay. I don't trust anybody spelled Dak D A K. All right. That guy stinks. By the time he figures it out, you know their season will be lost. They got a tough schedule anyway. Take a look. All right. Giants have a new head coach. I'm assuming that Ben McAdoo. Southern draw Benny boy will be more competent than Tom Coughlin. So that should give the Giants another couple of wins. Still, the Giants defense, until they prove anything, I know they made some offseason additions, every team does, but until the Giants defense can stop Cardinal O'Hara's football team and the offensive line can protect Eli Manning, which we've seen when that doesn't happen, what the hell shakes down. 
I'm not scared of the G-men. All right? So either they start protecting, you know, Peyton's stepbrother, or they figure out how to stop somebody, or they're not going to be even a factor in this division. All right, Redskins, the defending champs. Yes, Josh Norman makes them way better on defense, but I'm not drinking the Kirk Cousins Kool-Aid. The Sean Jackson bound to snap at some point, maybe even tussle with Norman in practice. I could see that coming from a mile away. And by the way, have you looked, John Mead, at the Redskins schedule? Because they have Green Bay, Minnesota, which was a tough game until Teddy Bridgewater died today in practice. Carolina at home, all right? Those three teams, Green Bay, Minnesota, Carolina at home. And they've got a road game in Arizona. So that could be four losses right there for the Redskins, not even factoring in the division. I ain't scared of them. As for the Philadelphia Eagles, they will start the season 2-0, and mark my words, all right? And if you start 2-0, and there's a good chance you can build some momentum early in the year, get everyone to buy into Poopy Peterson's culture and scheme, and maybe make a decent run at this thing. Overall, the NFC stinks. Eagles go 16-0. and All right, you're up. All right, well, let's touch on the Cowboys. And, like, I kind of touched on before, like, one of the previous podcasts. Like, a lot hinged on this division with Tony Romo's health. But I got to tell you, man, I've always been – I was a fan of Dak Prescott. And it's a guy I kind of wanted the Eagles to look at if they were going to stay the course and take a guy since they had Sam Bradford in, like, the third round before they kind of moved up to get wins. But this guy's kind of set up to play well through the fact that he has probably the best offensive line of football. The rookie running back looks like a beast. And they have good threats at the wide receiver position. Now, granted, coming in as a rookie, that is a hard task. But right now, man, the guy looks like he could do something. This whole division is going to be completely wide open. We touched on him with the Giants, right? Again, can Eli Manning stay healthy? They just re-signed an offensive lineman that they kept previously. Will be. So, can they get him? Giants did spend a lot of money in the offseason trying to upgrade their pass rush. They also paid a lot of money for Janoris Jenkins at corner. Again, nobody's really scared. Like, this division sounds like somebody's going to be 9 and 7, 9 and 7, 10 and 6, and 8 and 8. Then you have the rest. You know, you bring up Kirk Cousins. You know, prove it to him. Can this guy be that starting franchise quarterback? He's on a one year deal. Let's see what happens. They did make a huge upgrade at corner. Josh, Josh Norman is one of the best corners in the league. Again, but nobody's scary. And everybody in the NFC is going to have to deal with this hell schedule through the fact that all these guys have to play the AFC North. And when you look at the teams in the AFC North, you have Pittsburgh, you have Baltimore, you have Cincinnati, and then you have the lowly Browns. But those are going to be hard games to win. And the Eagles, their schedule's kind of soft up front, but then it gets real difficult on the back end. But the division's up for grabs. I mean, if you were to hold me to a fire, I couldn't tell you I could say that it's the clear favorite. Now, a lot of things are going to hinge on health. You know what I mean? If one of these teams sustains another horrible injury, it could ruin their season. But it's, it's going to be a dogfight against the division. I think it'll come down the last two weeks of the season, but... I think it's anybody's race. And we'll see what happens with the Eagles. Bottom line is, I think their their defense can be in the top ten. I think Jim Schwartz is going to bring that type of attitude. I do think they have the pieces. The question is, can the offense put up 21 points a game? 
if they're able to do that, then they can make a run to win the NFC East crown. It's going to be interesting. Look, this offense, Eagles offense, has a prayer to put up 21 points a game if they can run the football. Whether that's Sproles, whether that's Matthews, whether that's Kenyon Barner, who I'm more intrigued by every time I see him touch the ball preseason or not. Uh, but the biggest thing is going to be the line opening up those holes and the line giving Sam time to operate. When Sam Bradford has time to operate, like most quarterbacks in the league, he's damn good. All right, He's accurate. He can zip the ball around. And I don't think he's going to make poor decisions a la Mark Sanchez. I, I think Sam Bradford's proven in his career that he can put the ball where it needs to go and make most throws on the football field. But if he's running for his life, has to be mobile, has to be outside of the pocket, he is about as agile as my pinky finger. All right, He stinks yeah. when it comes to doing things out of the box. He's not going to make an Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck type play with his feet at all, period. So protect the quarterback, offensive line chemistry, Ryan Matthews stays healthy. This offense could actually do a few things because of guys like Ertz and Jordan Matthews. The fact that you don't, you know, again, I harped on it last year. They don't have the threats on the outside. But if you're able to do other things, you can at least be productive. At some point, you've got to beat somebody on the outside and make a play with your wide receivers. Or you're the Kansas City Chiefs from a couple years ago that didn't even have a touchdown of their wideouts, and at the end of the day, they just weren't damn good enough. So at some point, you've got to make a play on the outside. I get that, but the Eagles can be creative, I think, in a normal offense, a West Coast offense, not Chip Kelly's crazy machine gun offense. Maybe they control the clock a little bit more, and the offense can sustain some drives and be productive. All right, John Mita, let's jump away from – go ahead, brother. Hold on one yeah. second. I just want to make two two quick points. Yeah. It's also really going to depend on this impending suspension with Lane Johnson. Yeah. If he, if he gets spanked for 10 games, then we are in serious trouble. If they reduce it and only comes down to four or six games, you know, that, that would be fantastic. The other thing is, real quick, I just want to pose to you real quick, okay? Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. Done for this season, right? Yeah. Torn ACL. Would you trade Sam Bradford to the Minnesota Vikings right now, as we stand, if you could get, let's just say, a second-round pick and try to recoup some of the picks that we gave up to put Carson Wentz on this football team? Okay, here's how I would answer that. All right, and I'm going to answer it in the eyes of Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, Doug Peterson. Okay, those three guys are the brain trust, let's be honest. Do they want to win this season? Who makes that call? Is it Jeffrey Lurie saying, I own the team, we always try and win? Is it Roseman saying, we can really be a better team next year if we take the draft pick, Sam's not a part of the future? Is it Doug Peterson saying, I need Sam Bradford to run my offense, I need Sam Bradford to, to build a winning culture so guys built buy-in for the future? Those would be the three ways for me on the fly here that they would maybe look at this scenario. And if they determine they're not in it to win in 2016, then I guess you have no choice but to trade Sam Bradford if Minnesota wants him, A, and B, is willing to part with at least a third-round picker better. That would be the only way, the only way I would do the deal. Second, all right, second, Carson Wentz. Is he playing this year? Is he playing this year? Because I said a couple podcasts ago, I think their vision for this whole thing is is kind of short-sighted 
And once he got hurt in the preseason, it's like their whole plan got screwed up. Because now we've seen like four series of Carson Wentz. And literally, literally, if everything goes to their plan, we will not see Carson Wentz again until this time next year. So what do you have on Carson Wentz if you're the Eagles as an organization? Meetings, practice time, and four freaking series or whatever it was from the first preseason game? And then next year, all of a sudden, you expect them to just be ready? Like, I, I just don't understand what their plan is. So if their plan is really never to play this kid, and, and Eagles fans won't see him again until next freaking August, then I, 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 you can't make the trade. You can't, because then yeah. what are you going to put? Is, is that McLeod Thompson guy, whatever the hell his name is? Is he still on the roster? <laughs> Do they? I didn't even watch the, the fourth quarter of the Colts game. Who who finished the game? Did, Chase, did your boy Chase Daniel, no S, but everybody says Daniels, did he finish the game? <laughs> Seriously, did he finish the game? Nah, McLeod. Okay, so, whatever the hell. okay so he's yeah. still on the roster. So does yeah. so if you trade Sam Bradford is is Bethel McLeod Thompson or whatever the hell his name is is he the number three? No. Is he the number two? Not at all. Oh yeah, no, he'd be the number three. He'd be the number three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So again, it hinges on Carson Wentz. If you want Carson yeah. Wentz to play at some point this year, then you trade Sam Bradford if there's an opportunity to trade him because that's what you were apparently trying to do for most of the offseason, and that's, let's be honest, what he asked for when you drafted Carson Wentz anyway. So I know it's very yeah. long-winded and not much of a uh, uh, a finalized answer, but the the three-headed monster, Peterson, Laurie, and Roseman, got to figure it out, figure out if they want to win this year, figure out if there's a trade market to Minnesota, and then decide, is Carson Wentz going to be part of the football team this year? Because then you trade Sam Bradford, honestly. And I don't know how I'd feel about it because I I think I'm one of the few Sam supporters out there. All right? Yes, the sleeves drive me crazy. Yes, he can, you know, make you want to throw up sometimes the way he looks in a football uniform, let alone moves in a football uniform. But there ain't nobody better on the roster, Bubba. And last time I checked, I didn't like having my week ruined because the Eagles got their asses kicked on a Sunday. All right. Josh Ennis out at WIP, the controversial sports talk host, so I know personally, even if it's just a little bit from time in Houston down there, where him and I coexist at the same station, he much more important than I, being a fill-in guy at the time. Uh, fired by WIP last week, came after he criticized the competitor, 97.5 The Fanatic. That's a much bigger story, take up way too much time. But here's yep. where I stand on Josh Ennis, Johnny Mata. I would like to get him on our podcast at some point. I would have hoped to have done so before he was fired from Philly Sports Radio. But uh, he's always pushing the envelope, Josh Ennis. He doesn't ever, to me, strive to be ordinary. All right? comes somewhat natural for him to be different, whether that's edgy, controversial, provocative, whatever you want to call it. I've always liked his sports takes when he talks sports. He's never shied away from taking shots or giving his opinion. He does great interviews. Um... However, he doesn't talk enough sports for the traditional sports radio listener. And I understand this isn't sports talk radio in the 90s anymore. You know, you can have a diverse audience listening to your show in any market because of mobile apps, etc. However, at the end of the day, you still have to cater to your market, and I'm not sure that Josh Ennis will do that anywhere. He called Philly Sports Talk Radio today on Twitter, 
quote, low-hanging fruit, end quote. And he's right. Okay, I noticed that when I went to Houston, just how different some, in some ways those markets are, Houston and Philadelphia. And I, I've said that before on this podcast, is that in Philadelphia, you can, you can uh, survive for four hours by going through lists. Right, best Philly sports athletes, or you're breaking down last night's you know Sixers game. I mean that can get you through an hour because you're taking calls. There aren't a lot of other markets that at least I have been in and listened to where that is how sports talk radio is driven through callers. Not saying it's bad. It's just Philadelphia sports talk radio, and it has been for years. And that's not Josh Ennis's style. All right, and I think that's why he took some of those shots at the Philadelphia sports radio market, meaning the listeners today, um, and some of his tweets, and you can find them on Twitter, of course. Uh, when he got hired in Philly, I thought it might work because of how long Howard Eskin made a very fine living in the city of brotherly love, uh, stirring the pot. But I also knew Josh Innes' style wouldn't be for everyone. So with show ratings down and a contract about to expire, it just kind of felt like the timing was right as you look back on it for a change once he crossed the line again with those recent on-air comments uh, at some of them kind of racially edgy. Look, Josh Ennis is going to land on his feet in no time. I'm certain of that. He's he's the type of talent that doesn't grow on trees in this radio industry. However, I believe he'll continue to bounce around from various markets if he doesn't eventually change or evolve his style a little bit. Maybe it's national sports talk radio that's best for him because he can't anger a certain market for an extended period of time, if that makes any sense. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah. Because look, you, great- look, with all, yeah. here's my caveat. I don't get to listen to him very much. I'm not there, all right? So I'm not going to sit here and yeah. tell you I listen to hours of Josh Ennis in Philadelphia. I just know him. I know the situation. I read up on it, and I listen to him bits and pieces. So you listen to him much more. I'd like to hear what you got. Yeah, well, I think you bring up a lot of good points. And I think you know, the way he did his shows, he was very edgy, kind of came at the people. But like you said, like this this market, so to speak, Philadelphia, people keep it real here. And they, they're all about talking sports all day, every day. And don't get me wrong. There's times where, like, just like we brought in a national issue today. We're talking about Colin Kaepernick. There's times where you need to bring in some other things some stuff that's going on in the world. But he just digressed too much. There were too many other segments where he would just do weird bits. And it was almost like a comedy show. When you're like, listen, the people of Philadelphia, they crave sports. That's all they want to talk about. And I think he just brought in too much different material. He kind of pissed too many people off with the way he would interview people. And then for him to personally attack the other radio stations, that just didn't look good for him. The people that hired him, and I've done some reading on the issue, like the people that hired him kind of moved on from WIT. So if you would say like kind of his days were numbered because the people that brought him kind of left the station. And, you know, that kind of, I think that kind of ruffled it. But just the way he came at people. I think he, you're right. Some of his worst things, I'm in total agreement with him. He's kind of crazy. But there's some things that I do like about you know, what he brings to the radio. I think the perfect fit for him would be on a show like, like on, or on a station, serious radio, you know, kind of like Howard Stern. He's kind of that shock job where he can just let loose and do whatever he wants. And then also bring sports into it. 
I think that would be a much better fit. For him to go into like a certain market, and especially like one like Philadelphia, which is just hardcore sports, I just thought you could see it, that it just wasn't going to be a good fit. And he just, there were times, some of the comments he made, you're like, whoa, like, you're just out of control. Like, he got suspended from the radio station when he called Jason Kelsey some racial slur. Like, it just, you knew that at some point, this guy's days were number. And then they had the big Tiesco 97.5 where they create a fake call, and then he just went off the whole day. And then next thing you know, he finds himself on unemployment line. There's no doubt about it in my mind. This guy's a talented guy, and and he's funny and he's kind of crazy. But I just don't think a specific market like Philadelphia, and I'm talking sports market, that just want to hear nothing but sports. I'm not saying you don't sprinkle in other topics, but it just I think it was the wrong fit. He's and a he's, honest, he's a big personality, John Mita, and you. um. I think, you know, and you brought up a very interesting thing about, you know, the folks that hired him, I believe it was Andy Bloom, left the station, Spike Eskin took right. over. Yep. Spike Eskin, honestly, could be somewhat intimidated by Josh Ennis because the sense I get from Spike Eskin on social media, again, I've never heard him really on the radio because I just don't listen that much, and he was on for a bit, not anymore. He's, he's now yeah. the program director. But just from, like, he's got a podcast, his social media takes – I think they're pretty similar, meaning outside the box thinkers, uh, sarcastic probably, and I don't know. I that might not have been a good working relationship because in a perfect world, program director is meeting with you prior to your show. We used to have meetings in Houston before we go on the air with the program director Gavin Spittle, and he would fire you some topics he might have seen or what do you guys got today? What questions are you asking? What teases do you have? What are you going to do to drive? you know, that excitement from the listener. Josh yeah. Ennis, I, I've seen him walk out of a studio with like four pieces of paper in his hand. They're like two ESPN stories and some chicken scratch notes. I mean, the kid, I, yeah. sure, he could have changed his style, but to me, he's just he just goes. He's never rattled. He, there's never dead air because he just goes. His brain is just wired differently, and that's what makes him such an exceptional talent. But I, I, I'm just, I just wonder if Spike Eskin and he – could coexist from a boss to employee working relationship that this, I, and who knows, maybe it wasn't Eskin's call to gas him. Maybe it wasn't. But I just wonder yeah. with with his, with Ennis's personality and everything that went on, maybe Eskin somewhat, uh, maybe intimidated is not the right word, but when, when the employee is bigger than the employer, that's when you start to have a problem. Yeah. And he's kind of like that uncontrollable personality that he couldn't, Yes. You know, bring the reins back in, yes. so to speak. I and mean, he was like, and I'm sure, you know, they got a lot of pressure from the listenership. Oh, There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. Yep. The people wrote letters like, get this clown off the air. Yep. Like, I'm tired of listening to him. And the reason why I listen to the other radio station is because I can't stand to listen to this guy. Yeah. And I'm sure that also had something to do with it. For sure. And there were times, like, like, I've listened to him, and there were times where he's definitely taking shots at Spike Gaskin. Yeah. Now, they were kind of funny, but let's face it. No. There's always some truth in that. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and he used to so. do that in Houston, too, with the program director sitting down the hall, and the, and Gavin would walk down the hallway and, and you know, tell him at a break, like, are you crazy? Yeah. You know, again, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but I, I 
I was around the studio and the station long enough to know that, you know, yeah. as as a boss of his, it's it's difficult to rein him in. He doesn't want to be reined in. And, you know, that's that's a recipe for disaster in a lot of jobs, markets, etc. Uh, but, you know, overall, good kid from, from what I know him. He's a hockey fan. Um, yeah. So, you know, I got love for hockey fans nonstop. But he's, you know, he will land on his feet and be somewhere else before you know it, unless he's got a non-compete that I don't know about. All right, time to spread the love. Let's get a little romantic music up in here. Oh, yeah. All right, Johnny Mita. You go first. Spread the love. I'll wrap it up. We'll get on out of here. All right. I, I guarantee you um, we're going to have the same spread the love. <laughs> There's no Damn doubt it. in my mind. Hey, I know. Well, you just told me about spread the love. I didn't even know we were doing it. You didn't even give me time to think about it. But I got to tell you, man, it's got to go to one person who um, was a cornerstone of the Philadelphia Phillies franchise. Chooch! Chooch, man. God is fantastic. Uh, Carlos Ruiz, if anybody didn't know, how could you not know? Uh, you trade the Los Angeles Dodgers. And this guy meant so much to the Philly success over the last decade. It's been incredible. Not only was he a great ball player, but he was a great person at heart. And the way that he managed the baseball game, he caught four no-hitters. What can you say? And he always came up in the clutch. There were timely hits in so many games where the guy always produced. And he just went about his job each and every day. He helped a lot of the new Latino players get kind of acclimated to Major League Baseball and what it's all about. And the guy's got a heart of gold. He's going to be one of the most beloved athletes in Philadelphia sports history. And he will be on the wall of fame someday. And when he does get honored, I'm going to make you a point to grab a ticket for that game because it's well-deserved. Love the guy. Love him as a player. I wish nothing but success for him out on Los Angeles, and I will always be a huge Carlos Ruiz. Let's go Dodgers right now with Chase's faces and Chooch out there. Tell you what. How about? Um, I'll just add a couple more things because you were spot on. My spread the love is the exact same spot you were going. 1,069 games in a Phillies uniform, 898 career hits, 401 RBIs, and how about a 353 average over 11 World Series games, all with the Phils. To your point, John Mita, he was clutch. He called masterful pitching performances, always hustled down the line even though he was slow as molasses. He was the head of the Phillies pitching monster, so to speak, and... Uh, uh, sorely missed. I mean, I watching the video the Phillies produced right after he's traded, you would have thought he died. I was like literally crying <laughs> watching that video. Uh, so, Chooch, you are sorely missed, my friend. Personality, work ethic, and passion for the game and passion for the city of Philadelphia will never be forgotten. Carlos Ruiz, now a Dodger, another Phillies era essentially turning the page. Only Big Brown, Ryan Howard left now from those five straight division title teams. All right, brother. Any final thoughts? No, man. It was a great podcast. Listen, we appreciate the feedback, everyone. Please, do us a favor. Tell us what you want to hear. 
write us, ask us a question, come after us. We're all about the feedback. And we just want to improve our listenership. But we really appreciate all the support. Keep it coming. Let's see how this new segment works out. Please send us your emails. I can't wait for that. We'll read the really good ones or anyone that comes at us. And uh, can't wait to move forward and looking forward to football season for sure. All right, Brotherly Love Podcast in the books. Email us, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. You're Colin Kaepernick, not standing for the National Anthem Thoughts. Tweet us, at Love Podcast. Go Birds for John Mita, Joe O'Donnell. Till next time. See- Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.